Amen. So we're in uh, our next step here of traits. So again, if you missed the handout, make sure you grab it there in the middle. So we've been talking about many different things. I want to ask you a question tonight. I want you to put your thinking cap on. Um, I know you're going to respond differently to the question, but I want you to think about it for a second, all right? I'm intentionally getting you to think a certain way, all right? If you were given $1 million with one week to spend it, what would you spend it on? One, you don't have to answer out loud. I just want you to think for a second. A million dollars, okay? Seven figures, a million dollars. You got, it was an unexpected blessed, you know, blessing gift. You know, you got it. You got one week. You got seven days to spend it. What would you do with it? Right? So some of you would say, oh, you know, I would, I would buy something. And so you got, Maybe something you've been wanting. Or I would build something. You know, I'd pay for something to be built. Or I would give it to someone. Or I would bless someone. You know, I would go buy something for someone else. Or I would donate to this. Or I would, right? There's a lot of things you would think of. So you got that in your mind? Something, a million dollars, one week to spend it. How do you spend it? We all had these different ideologies of what we would do and how we would do it. Some of you are like, man, that would be amazing, you know, that. That'd be so exciting. Well, the reality is, what if you what if you live that way as though that were true? What if you lived every day with, you know, and you've heard the old adage, you know, the cliche, you got so many thousand seconds during the day, and how are you going to spend those seconds? Or you got so many minutes, right? And, and so every day we wake up and we got this decision to make. With what I've been given, what am I going to do with it, right? And so there's different ways that different people respond to that, and different people have been given different portions, if you will, and we'll get into that in a minute. But with, with what you have, what we do with that, right, what, what do we do with it? Every single day that we wake up, and so we, we kind of fantasize about these different things that maybe could potentially be true, but what if we actually lived every day that way? Would you look at things differently? You know, it's, it's kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen, seen the movie, and, and I'm not endorsing the movie, but uh, Groundhog Day, right, with Bill Murray, and he kept waking up every day, and it was the same thing over and over and over, and every day he would have this. And so then he got to the point where he's like, nothing that I do matters. I can just go out and jump off a cliff, and then tomorrow I'm going to wake back up and be right in the back in the same boat, right? You've, you, you've, you've heard the whole adage about Groundhog Day, right? Well, what if you saw that on, that was the negative side. What if you saw it on the positive side that, you know what, I can go beyond, I can go to exhaustion and, you know, the giving of my time, or I can zero out my checking account every day, and tomorrow it'll be replenished. You would live differently, right? You would do things different. You would love people differently. We would all respond differently. It would change the way that you gave to others. It would. Because what would happen is, you would, at first, you would do it all, you know, maybe you're selfish. Let's, you know, you want to do it all for yourself. And so, oh, I would buy this and I would buy this. And so you go out and you start buying all these things. Well, guess what? Eventually, you're going to outbuy yourself. Like, there's a limit. Really, there is. You, you know, there's a limit to how much you can give to yourself. And then you're going to start looking beyond because it's going to get boring when you're the only person excited about the gift. And then you're going to start looking beyond. You're going to say, you know, well, 
you know, my neighbor really wanted their fence replaced or my, my neighbor needs their fence replaced. I'm going to pay for that to happen. Or I'm going to make a donation to this ministry or this organization, right? And then, then the joy would start expanding. And so you and I, we would live differently if that were the reality. You see, Jesus knew, and we're not only going to talk about money tonight, but Jesus knew that our hearts are fickle, right? And he knew that we would be captivated by certain things. As a matter of fact, over 15% of everything that Jesus said relates to money. Over 15% of all the words that Jesus spoke had something to do with the topic of money. Now, you know, if you turn on the television today, you're going to hear an inflation conversation, right? And everything's up and, you know, the CPI is up and all this, you know, all this stuff is up, right? And so, or the spending bill uh, or the infrastructure bill. And, and so, you're going to hear, and it's about money, right? It's, it's related to money, that gasoline's higher and oil's higher and, you know, groceries are higher and there's a chip shortage and so on and so forth. All these things you're going to hear, all of that relates to money. And so, Jesus knew, not just in the time in which He existed, uh, you know, on earth, but also in, you know, perpetual culture that we would struggle with this issue. There's, as a matter of fact, there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that speak about money and things related to it. 2,000 verses that are spoken in Scripture of the 66 books that talk about money. You see, Jesus actually spoke more on money than on heaven and hell combined. Now, that, that's shocking, right? Wouldn't you think that when Jesus showed up on earth that he would say, what I need to do is I need to spend all of my time talking about the amazing eternity that people are going to spend with me, right? I was talking to somebody today, and I uh, said, hey, how are you? And they said, uh, well, I'm alive. And I said, well, yeah, true, but I think eternity is going to be pretty awesome, and to which she responded, it was kind of like, well, yeah, you're right, absolutely, you know, eternity is going to be awesome. And I said, she said, I just, I'm just not sure what eternity is like. And I said, I understand the fear of the unknown. I said, you know, everybody's kind of that way, right? But, but what, what Jesus came is he didn't come and say, hey, I'm only going to talk about angels, and I'm only going to talk about heaven, I'm only going to talk about streets of gold, and I hope everyone is allured by that, and maybe I can draw them in by the immeasurable riches of heaven. That is not what he did. He said, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to spend time talking more about money, what captures and imprisons and uh, can certainly liberate people more than I'm going to talk about heaven and hell. You see, you'd think that as believers, we would be experts then on money, right? you think we're going to talk about money tonight, but we're not. Uh, but you'd think we'd be experts on that, right? You would think that if Jesus talks so much about it, well, then we ought to have it nailed. We ought to know exactly what we should be doing. But yet, most people are not, in fact, experts with that. Did you know that more Americans have declared bankruptcy than graduated from college? Now, again, we're not talking about money, I promise you. But more people have declared bankruptcy than who have a college degree. Is that not staggering to you? And it's because of our relationship of how we handle our money. It's how we handle our money. 
So tonight, as we get into the traits study, I want to remind us as we start, and this is such an amazing statement, that God is in the giving business. God is in the giving business. Now, you know, your mind immediately probably goes to finances because I just talked about money, which is true. The Bible says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The Bible says that everything is under the authority of God the Father. But you see, God doesn't just give monetarily, although He does certainly bless, you know, at His will and discretion. But God also gives us what? He gives us extra time. I mean, think about the time that you've been given today. You were granted breath. You didn't cause your lungs to move. God did, right? You were given another day today. I mean, we could spend a lot of time on this, right? Maybe you wronged someone. God gave you another day to make it right. Maybe you've been blessed with an amazing family or an amazing spouse or amazing kids or an amazing church, and God gave you at least one more chance to experience that today. Right? I mean, we could go on and on about all the things that God has given us. How about salvation? How about that one, right? I mean, that's the pinnacle of the givingness, if that's the word, of God. Right? That God has gone far beyond what we could imagine. For hundreds of years, He looked down upon humanity and He said, well, they haven't figured it out yet, and so I'm going to send my son, and I'm going to give him. He's going to leave, as Pastor Tony said a couple of weeks ago, he's going to leave uh, the splendor of heaven to come down to earth, right? And so Jesus came down, God gave his son, and not only did he allow him to come visit us, give us the opportunity to meet him face to face, to be incarnated, that he would no longer be the invisible God, but that he would be the visible God. Not only did he visit us, if you will, but he also sacrificed his son, in, and in doing so, he gave us eternity. He gave us an opportunity to have a relationship with him. He gave us entrance into heaven by giving us a perfect record, which, which is justification, right? God is a giving God. He is in the giving business. Every good gift comes from God. Anything that's happened in your life, any report that you thought was negative that turned out to be positive, any result that was, uh, you know, clear, any goodness, any deposit, any earning, whatever happened in your life, it is because of the goodness of God. <clears throat> now, you don't have to acknowledge that. It doesn't change it, but you don't have to acknowledge that. You know, <clears throat> we may would say <clears throat> people outside of this room may not necessarily agree with that. That's fine. You don't have to agree with it. It doesn't change the reality of it, right? So everything that God has done for us, and we could go on and on and on, is that God is, in fact, a very giving God, you see, the real measure of our hearts is really bound up in a heart that wants to get or a heart that wants to give. A heart that wants to get or a heart that wants to give. We're in the uh, Christmas season. I consider the Christmas season November the 1st through December 31st, in case you're wondering. And yes, I've been listening to Christmas music ever since November the 1st. So we're in the Christmas season. And so it is... Tis the season to be jolly, right? And so it is the opportunity for us to give. And as kids, everything was about getting, right? You know, I want this toy. Maybe you have, I have kids, you know, if you have kids or around kids, or grandkids, whatever, that what, what is the excitement for you is no longer in getting, right? When your spouse asks you or, you know, your family, what do you want for Christmas? If you're like me, you're like, I don't really want anything. 
I mean, I really don't know. I don't, I don't need anything. God has given me everything that I need. I don't need anything. So, right, but as a kid, you're like, list, 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 you know, all these things. Well, I saw this in a commercial. I saw, I don't know what it is, but it sounded right. You know, just listing all these things that you want to get. But as you grow and you get older, all of a sudden, those things are no, no longer alluring to you. You're not captivated by those things. Because why? Because your heart begins to change, and you began to give. And it is better for you that you would give, maybe even you would relinquish the value of whatever gift you may would receive so that someone else could get it that you love, right? We would all agree with that as adults. We would say we, we, would, we get more happiness out of giving than we do about getting. And that tells us a lot about our heart. But it also then should remind us that it is a mirror, okay? It is a mirror in our walk with God and that as we grow from spiritual infants and needing to be fed all the time into spiritual adults, that it is better for us, that it is more of a blessing for us, that it is as fulfilling, if not more fulfilling for us, that we would give of ourselves, right? In a couple weeks, uh, on the uh, 28th, we're going to talk about God is for giving. God is for multiplying, okay? And so as we talk about that, as we grow up, if you will, spiritually, our hearts begin to see things differently in the way that we give versus getting. Did you know that 85% of Americans give less than 2% of their income to anything? by the way, not just to church, to anything, charity, organization, less than 2% of their income. And so what a lot of people think, and again, I know it seems like we're talking about money, but uh, a lot of people think, oh, well, you know, if I make more, then I could give more. If I had more to give, then I'd be able to do that, right? You may think, well, if I had an increase in salary, well, it seems that the more that we have, the less generous that we actually become. I mean, we, we would all agree again tonight that, you know, monetarily speaking, we are not only the richest nation in the world, but our society is the richest that it's ever been, right? We have more access to anything than we've ever had. We have more toys and access to toys, if you will, material possessions, than we've ever had. As a matter of fact, as we think about this, the more that we have, the less generous we become. You may would think, well, if in fact, Pastor Matt, I did get that million dollars that you talked about at the beginning, I would be more generous. Well, the top 20% of income in the United States give away 1.3% of their income, while the bottom 20% gave away almost three times that, 3.2%. So the less, actually, that people earned, the more that they gave. That's fascinating, isn't it? It really tells us about what blessing uh, or, uh, you know, more can do to us. In the Roman world, generosity was a virtue that was held only for the wealthy, since it referred to a person's nobility or their birth. And so, in the Roman culture, if you were considered generous, it was because you had access to generosity, right? That you had resources that others didn't have that you were able to give. And in reality, it was because you wouldn't miss those resources because you had so much of them. 
You see, the same can be said for us since we have a heavenly Father who freely gives. You see, as we talked about earlier, we have a heavenly Father who freely gives. And so the same can be said for us that it ought to refer to our birth, our you know, rebirth, or to our nobility and that we have a Father. And as God the Father, our trait should be a trait of generosity. God is a giver and He calls us to participate in His nature of giving, that God is calling us to be a part of giving as He is a part of giving. But I want to be clear tonight. Generosity, as by definition, generosity is simply giving beyond what is expected. You see, generosity is simply giving beyond what is expected. And so when we think about generosity and we think about giving, there is a difference. There is a difference. Remember, generosity is going beyond what is expected. So when we think about giving, well, giving is not the same as being generous. You can give without being generous. That's possible. But you cannot be generous without giving. And so when we think about generosity and we think about the time of the year, there's many needs just within our church family. Uh, but there's many needs. There's many needs that you're aware of in your sphere of influence. And so as we approach the Thanksgiving season and the Christmas season, uh, it is our opportunity to exhibit the generosity of God. And so as we think about the giving, well, it's not just being generous. So, you know, our class is an extremely benevolent class. It's, it's a blessing to be a part of our class, and we get many opportunities to be a part of stuff like that. And it's a blessing to do that. And why is that? It's because God has given us, and so in response to the, of what God has given us, we want to respond in gratitude and saying that we want to be to other people what God has been to us, right? That we want to go beyond what is expected, you see, generosity can sometimes be very subjective since being generous for me can be very different than what generous for you is, right? We're in different situations, uh, different, you know, all of us have different contexts, and so generosity, or at least what God would call generosity for me, may be different than what God would call generosity for you. It's because generosity is a lifestyle that flows out of an attitude of gratitude. That I'm grateful for what God has done for me. And so it becomes this attitude of giving. I read a story this week as I was reading about generosity of this lady uh, who, um, you know, her uncle had uh, liver problems. And so he needed a transplant. And so uh, she had gone to give uh, she wanted to, I'm sorry, kidney, and she wanted to go and see if she could be a, a donor uh, for that, and she wasn't a match. And so she wasn't able to be the one to give. Well, she heard, you know, the story was broadcast, and so uh, because her uncle, you know, the story was made known, there was a random person, an anonymous person who came up and donated. Living, you know, uh, heard of the story, came up and donated. And so they heard of the situation, so she heard of all the scenarios taking place, and she thought, well, that is so touching to me that I couldn't be a part of that, but I, I want to be a part of that, so how can I bless someone else? And so the story goes that, you know, as they, you know, she began to look for opportunities to be generous, and so that she donated, well, then it started this domino effect. 
and over 60 organs were donated in the strain of that giving, right? That one person was so touched by the generosity of someone else that it began to give this trickle effect. I mean, you, you've heard it in smaller scales, right? You, you know, you go through a drive-thru and someone pulls up and, and you say, hey, I want to catch the meal behind me. I want to pay for that too. And so they, you, you pay for their meal. Well, then it starts this train effect. You, you've heard of that before. And so you can 20, 30 cars sometimes can go through before someone else actually ends up paying for their meal, right? It's generosity. It's contagious. It's this attitude that because I've been given then I want to give to other people because of what God has done for me. And so Jesus knew that we would struggle with that. Jesus knew that our hearts are bent towards selfishness, right? He started in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say, hey, don't you want to be like God? You should go eat from that tree, and then you would possess the things that God possesses. And so selfishly, Adam and Eve were like, well, that does sound good, and I really would like to be an equal here. And so if I can go out there and do that, then that would be a gain for me. And so it's all about the way that we see it. And so Jesus knew that would be the case, and he knew that we would struggle for it, with it. So here's the reason that Jesus talks so much about it. There's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. There is a connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and how we handle money. You see, money in and of itself is not evil. You say, well, what does the Bible say about that? Doesn't the Bible say that it is? No, it does not. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It is the love of money. You can be extremely wealthy and extremely generous and extremely spiritual. That's possible, right? And so it is not money, it is the love of, Paul said that it, it is through this craving, the very next verse it says, through this craving that many have walked away from the faith. And so the question that we want to answer tonight is how can we redeem that? How can we redeem the fact that inherently we are not very generous, but God has called us to be generous? Well, let's look at some scripture. Luke talks about a scenario Luke talks about a scenario, and uh, Matthew also records this, and so we're going to look first at Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, it should be on your handout, starting in verse 19, the Bible says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, here's the problem with that, okay? Is just exactly what I relayed to you uh, earlier about the lady that I spoke with today who said, we don't know what's on the other side you know, as far as eternity. She says, we don't know what it's like. You know, we only have the Scriptures to teach us that. And so the uncertainty of the unknown, that's why this verse is hard to apply. Because we say, I can see my balance in my checking account. I can see the possessions that, you know, fill my yard. I can't visually see the treasures that are in heaven. And so people struggle with this. And the reason is because we're looking at the, through the lens of what we know as humans, okay? 
It's because we're seeing it through the lens of what we know as humans. So the question that we'll answer is, where is your treasure? Remember, for, from where, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so where is your treasure? Right, that's a great question we ought to ask ourselves. Is what is it that I'm most passionate about? What is it that I'm most passionate about? What is it that captivates my heart? You see, money has a way of captivating our hearts in ways that most things don't. Right? If I were to have told you, okay, imagine, instead of saying, imagine you got a million dollars, if I were to say, imagine you were given 25 cars, well, then some of you are going to think, well, that's a lot of insurance. I don't know if I want to pay that premium, right? Or you're going to think, well, have you seen gas? It's $3 a gallon. I can't fill up 25 cars. Right? You would see that as a burden. Or if I said, everybody in the room is going to get 100 boxes of cake mix, to which you would say, well, I, I hope they're gluten-free. Or you'd say, oh, well, you know, I'm on a no-carb diet. Or, right? you, we would think of all these reasons. And you can go through anything. You can think of anything. I'll give you, you know, 10 gift cards to Chick-fil-A. And you say, well, I don't really like fried food. You can always, but if I say, here's a million dollars, nobody's going to be like, I really don't like the smell of money. Right? Nobody's saying that. It's because we have this captivation with money. We do. We, we do as a society. And it has a way of drawing us in. And so what Jesus is saying here, he's not against us storing up treasures. He's for us storing up treasures. Okay, I want to be very clear here. You know, there was a movement when I was younger, you know, this, this poverty movement. I, and I know there are some uh, poverty movements that, you know, give away everything and, you know, live on, you know, pennies a day and so on and so forth. Listen, you know, when Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell everything and follow me, what Jesus was not saying is only, you know, people with absolutely nothing can follow me. That is not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying is people that get destitute spiritually and know it are the ones who then can follow me. <clears throat> Because what happens for us is, and you've heard the testimony over and over, is I felt like I didn't need God. Right? Because the world, the possessions of the world, lull us to believe that what we have is sufficient. Which is the craziest thing, but nonetheless. And so, Jesus is not against storing up treasures. He wants to make sure that we know where to store up treasures. He, want, he wants to make sure that we know where You see, in the abundance of our society, we have the availability of whatever we desire. If today in this room, we decided that we were going to buy something, and you can name whatever you want, we could come up with enough funds to buy it, right? If we decided today that we wanted to possess something, collectively, we could figure out a way that we would go and possess whatever that may be. You see, getting things is not our issue. Giving things is our issue. You see, in the world in which we live today, with the availability of whatever we desire, what we have to continually remind ourselves of is this. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right? If you can go out and buy the latest and greatest, that doesn't mean you should do that. Right? Because I'm not saying you shouldn't have that. What I'm saying is, where is your heart in the middle of that? If you're captivated by that, 
and you absolutely have to have it, then guess what you have to do? You've got to steer way away from that. It's going to lead you astray if you're captivated. I can remember when, you know, you know my story. When Melanie and I were first married, and we couldn't afford to pay attention. And guess what I was fixated on? Affording to pay attention, right? I wanted to make it. I, want, I wanted to be able to provide for my wife, and I wanted to be able to have some extra. I wanted to have some margin, but I became fixated on trying to do that. And it wasn't until I relinquished that that I was able to be free from it, right? You see, God wants us to live for His glory, but His glory, may I remind us tonight, is always for our good. Now, it may not be the way we think it is, right? It doesn't say all things work to the good of those who love the Lord and, and have a bunch of money in their checking account. That's not what that says. It's uh, that all things work together for, for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, right? That we are pursuing the things of God, that our hearts are captivated by the things of God. And so God desires that we would live for His glory. But remember what God's glory is. God's glory is that we, would, uh, that we would live in a way that would honor and glorify His name. You see, God blesses our uh, standard of living so that we would raise our standard of giving. You see, God blesses us to do that. So again, you know, you probably make more than you've ever made before. Most people do today. God didn't say, let's see how much you can keep for yourself. But God gave that so that we would have opportunities. And, you know, when Pastor Tony, you've heard the story before, when Pastor Tony became senior pastor here, and, you know, one of the uh, things that they talked about at the very beginning is we're going to be a church that's very benevolent in missions, that not only we're going to give a good portion of our uh, church budget to missions, but we're also going to go and we're going to give of our time to missions. Right, and look at how God has honored that, and look how God has blessed that. You, you think about Rescue 100, it's another great example of that. And so what God says is, uh, you know, to, to whom much is given, much is required. And so as we think about what God has granted us with, and the things that God has given us opportunity, it ought to cause us to be a better giver, to be more generous. You see, the sacrifice of being a better giver, of the sacrifice of being more generous pales in comparison to the reward for being generous. Remember, Jesus said, lay up your treasures in heaven where moth nor rust destroys, but, uh, nor where thieves can break in and steal. You see, there, there is a reserve in heaven. You see, for you and for me, that reserve of rewards is for those who are generous in their giving, both of finances, both of time, both of talents. You see, we won't be rewarded for how much we spent, or nor will we be rewarded for how much we saved, but we will be rewarded for how and what we gave, for how and what we gave. You see, generosity is the only remedy to selfishness. So as you approach the holiday season this year, generosity is the only remedy to selfishness, that we would look beyond ourselves. Remember the Scripture that says Jesus, who took the form of a servant, Jesus looked beyond Himself to be generous to you and to me. 
You see, oftentimes in our selfishness, we have possessions, but too oftentimes we think we own our possessions, but too often they often own us. And it's not even something that we are keenly aware of. 1 Timothy chapter 6 puts it this way. Paul writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, generosity cures selfishness because it's impossible to be selfish and greedy and yet have high character. You see, as we've been talking about traits now, obviously tonight, we're talking about generosity. And for us to have generosity, it's impossible for you and I as believers to be selfish and to be greedy. I almost made a new word there, selfie and greedish, right? It's difficult for us to do that. You can't have high character as a believer. The worst thing that a believer can be is greedy, right? Look at what we've been given, and yet to hoard and to keep it to ourselves is the opposite of the character and nature of what we know God to be like, right? In many places in Scripture, Jesus gives us direction on how to be more generous, but I don't think there's a better place uh, than in the Gospel of Luke. Luke shares a story with us of what generosity looks like. And so let's peer into Dr. Luke's uh, excerpt tonight of this story of Jesus and how he identified generosity. Remember, Luke was a physician, and Luke was very big on details. And so Luke is giving us some very intentional details, but some very insightful details. And so let's look uh, in the Gospel of Luke. It's also recorded in Mark chapter 12. It says, As he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box, many people, many rich people, put in large sums. And so the Bible says that Jesus sat down, Okay, He sat down opposite of the treasury, and he watched. Now, that's a message in itself, right? That Jesus is watching what we do with our money. So he sits across from the treasury, and he's watching the people put money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Now, the way that they would do that back then is they would have this uh, you know, they would bring the money and they would put it in and they would let it roll out, if you will. And so as it was being poured in, it was making very loud noises. And the longer and the louder the noise, the more you gave, right? And so people who were giving a lot would, you know, they would make sure everybody's watching. And then they would slowly pour the money in. And then you would hear this rattling and clanging, you know, right? Like putting an old metal coffee cup with change in it. And it was this really, really loud, you know, debacle. And, you know, the more you gave, the longer the sound was, and everybody's thinking, man, did you hear how much he gave? Right? And so here's this story of Jesus there, and it says that a poor widow came, and she put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. So she brought a penny to give. And he called the disciples to himself and he said, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. Here's the rich bringing up all of the money that they gave. And yet here is this poor widow 
the Bible says, brings a penny and tosses it in. Now, I'm sure a lot of people at the time were looking and saying, really, a penny? You came all the way down here for that? It's not going to make a difference. It's just a penny. And then, you know, the rich people were saying, well, I can't believe she would have done that. You know, look at all that we gave, and she just gave a penny. Well, she doesn't, you know, whatever they may have said, I can imagine all kinds of things. Here's this lady who comes in. Now, remember the story of how I told you this happens. You know, they poured in all this noise. Do you not think she knew that? So imagine the, the courage, if you will, that it took for her to walk up and just drop those two copper coins in. She knew it wasn't going to be to the magnitude of all the ones that had gone before her. But yet, she did. You see, generosity is not measured by what you give. I don't want you to walk away from the message tonight, because this is by no means a message on giving. I don't want you to walk away from the message tonight saying, oh, well, you know, we talked about giving tonight. No, we didn't. We're talking about generosity. Generosity is not measured by what you give. There is an, there's often a difference between giving the greatest amount and being the most generous giver. Let me say that again. There's often a difference between giving the greatest amount and being the most generous giver. You see, here's this lady who was actually the most generous giver in the story, and yet she by no means gave the greatest amount. <clears throat> so I want to point out a couple of things about what she did. Number one, and I think this is a fallacy in our culture, is that you don't have to be rich to be generous. Well, it's not on the slide. Hang on. Number one, you don't have to be rich to be generous. You don't have to be rich. So in other words, you don't have to look and say, I have an amazing abundance, and so because of that, I'm going to be generous. You can be generous. You don't have to be rich to do that. You don't have to have a lot to give a lot. You don't have to have a lot to give a lot. So I'm going to tell, tell you a story, a personal story about my son. He's not in here, so I can tell the story. So I'm preaching on generosity this week, right? And I knew it was coming up. I've been, you know, studying for it here a couple weeks. And so I knew, you know, tonight was going to come. And so uh, they were doing a fundraiser and, uh, you know, the basketball team. And so they're doing this fundraiser and, you know, they had to sell these tickets. And so uh, he sold all of his tickets and, you know, got all the ticket money gathered up and everything. And so, you know, non-issue, non-point, right? So one of his friends had uh, some tickets that he hadn't sold. And it was crunch time, right? You got to turn these tickets in. And so it's crunch time, and he's got to sell these tickets. And his friend was, oh, you know, I'm nervous, and I really, I don't want to ask anybody. I don't, I don't know what to do. And so this is, you know, a really good friend of my son. And so my son says, I want to help you out. I want to buy two of your tickets. Now, I don't know if you know this, but my son is 12, and he doesn't have a job. So whatever money he's got is left over from birthday parties, right? You know, grandma, grandpa, friends, whatever. So he's got this money that he's been keeping in his wallet, you know, for these last several months. And so he's got a little bit of money set aside. And so he says, Dad, I want to give $20 to buy those tickets. I want to give $20 to buy those tickets. What a great example of generosity. That I mean, it was, you know, the, the percentage of what all he possessed 
that $20 is, is a lot, all right? He's 12. He doesn't have anything, right? And so he, he, in his heart, it was instant. I want to help you out. I want to buy two of your tickets. And so he gives $20. Now, you know what I'm thinking, right? He has, there, it was for a drawing. And so I'm thinking, God, would you please help him to win that drawing, right? Because I want, I want to be like, look. But then, I, you know, he didn't win. And then I realized, you know what? It would have been bad if he would have won. Because then he would have been like, wow, if I give, then I get, right? So what a great lesson for me. What a great example of generosity that you don't have to have a lot to give a lot. You don't have to have a lot to give. That your generosity can be very, very small, and yet God can use it to multiply that. And the last thing is you don't have to have a lot to give a lot. You don't have to have a lot to give a lot. Remember, generosity is not measured by what you give. The greatest amount is not the most generous sometimes. You see, what Jesus didn't look at is Jesus did not look at the portion. Jesus looked at the proportion. Jesus looked at the proportion. Now, now we've talked a lot about, you know, money, but let's talk about time for a second. Let's talk about time for a second. Time spent for the kingdom, being generous with your time for the kingdom. Right? When is the last time that you went above what was expected for you with your time for the kingdom? You see, we're all busy. We're all busy. I mean, I'm extremely busy. We're all busy. But I have to be intentional about my generosity with time. There are times where I have to say, clear everything. I've got to focus on this right now. Right? There's times where I have to stay up late, or there's times where I have to get up early, or there's times where I have to rearrange my schedule during the day because I need to go and be somewhere. I need to go do something. I need to be for someone. I need to help someone or do something for someone. Right? We have the opportunity to do that. But I'm afraid so oftentimes that we are very, uh, very selfish with our time. You know, it's easy for us to talk about money, I think, and I think a lot, a lot of times it's easy for us to be dismissive about what we should be generous uh, with our money. But how about our time? When is the last time that you put yourself aside and that you gave freely of your time knowing that it was going to cost you? Knowing that it was going to cost you. You see, Jesus looked at the proportion of which the, the poor widow gave. Jesus is not impressed with the greatness of what we give, but with the generosity of what we give. Jesus is not impressed with the greatness, but with the generosity. And so as he looked at this poor widow, he tells the disciples, she's put in more than all of those who are contributing. Now, I don't know how much was given that day, but I'm pretty sure it was more than two copper coins. And yet Jesus said she gave more. He says in verse 44, for they all contributed out of their abundance to which we are all guilty of, right? That we give out of our abundance. Well, if I have time, I'll help you. If I have extra money at the end of the month, I'll help you, right? A lot of people say, well, I've got too much month at the end of my money. But what we say is, well, if I have the extra time, if I have the extra money, the extra resources, well, then I'll give. Jesus said they all contributed out of their abundance, but she gave out of her poverty. And she's put in everything that she had, all that she had to live on. So can you imagine tonight that you did that? 
that everything that you possess, you gave every bit of it away. Now, we're not told, and I don't imagine this to be the case, but I don't think this lady was planning on checking out that night. But yet, she showed up, and it says that she put everything that she had. Jesus said this, has put in everything, all that she had to live on. The, the word here, uh, it, it says that she gave all of her bios, which is where we get our word for biology. She gave all of her life, in other words. She gave all of her life. When it came to the end of her, she kept going. Can I suggest to you tonight that that's where you often find yourself, is at the end of yourself? Right? When you're at the end of resources, that's when God steps in. When you're at the end of answers, that's when God steps in. That is really maybe only in the end of ourselves that we actually find what we were looking for. You see, it was easy for this lady to give all of her money because she had already given all of her heart. She already knew who God was. She was already willing to go beyond what she was capable of doing because she had already given every piece of her heart. You see, I mentioned earlier that oftentimes money has a way of captivating our hearts and we reserve a portion of our hearts, if you will, for that selfish, greedy nature that is constantly at war with ourselves. But this woman didn't do that. No, you see, what she was declaring with the amount that she gave and the act that which she uh, displayed was she was declaring this. She was declaring, number one, God, I look to you to provide all of my needs. You see, the Bible says that my God shall supply all of your needs according to what? To his riches in glory. And so when we declare with our lives that, God, I know and believe and trust that you are going to provide everything that I need. And you say, well, I, there's something that I don't have. Well, it's probably a want, right? You see, the lady is declaring this, and it ought to be the same for us, that in the way that we live and the things that we do, that we declare, Jesus, you are enough. And if today was all that there was, and if nothing was here forward, it's sufficient because you're sufficient. Because you're enough. And so she said, God, I, I look to you to provide all of my needs. She also says, God, I love you more than I love money. That I'm giving it all away because to, to me, you mean more. And lastly, she is declaring, God, I live for you and for you alone. God, I live for you and for you alone. And so as we think about this generosity... One of the most captivating scriptures in the Bible to me is in Matthew chapter 13. And so as we think about this generosity, we can't help but having to mention this scripture. You see in Matthew chapter 13 verse 44, the Bible says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, which by the way is the exact same word used for treasure that we looked at earlier. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found, and he covered it up. So imagine this traveler is coming through, and there's a field, and he stops for a break maybe, and he discovers this treasure. And what does he do? He covers up the treasure, and knowing that it is so amazing, and he goes in his joy, and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. 
So he found something that was so immeasurably worth in his life that he said, I'm going to give everything else that I have so I can own this right here. I'm going to give it all away. Whatever it is that he had. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it says that he with joy went. I can imagine that the way that he left was completely different than the way that he came, right? Maybe he was tired. Maybe he had had a long day. Maybe he was out of water. Maybe he was lost. I don't know what the story is, but the Bible says that he came upon this field and he discovered this treasure. It was the same for you and for me, that we were tired of life, that we were thirsty for something different, that we were hungering for something that we didn't even know that we needed, and we discovered what? A treasure, a treasure that is so immeasurable that we didn't even know existed, that God revealed to us in His glory. And that treasure is Jesus, right? And what did we do? In desperation, we knelt before God. And in that moment, it didn't matter what your balance was. It didn't matter who you knew. It didn't matter what you drove to church or wherever it was. It didn't matter how many shingles were on your roof. All that mattered in that moment is, God, will you save me? Right? Because you found the treasure. This man found a treasure. And he thought to himself, this right here is worth everything that I've accumulated. I have to own it. And so he went and gave it all away. He said, i got to sell it all. What an amazing, captivating story. Right? Have you ever encountered something like that in your life? I, I pray that the answer is yes, Right? that you would say that the treasure of Jesus is so captivating in my life that I'm willing that I would have nothing else yet for Jesus. You see, when we have discovered this treasure, everything else in our lives takes second place. Everything. The new tractor that he just bought to plow his field, the new barn that he just built, right, the new whatever that he just possessed, all of that is worthless I've got to own this right now. The treasure. It causes us to see things differently. Remember, he left different than he came. When you met Jesus, you left different than you came. It causes you to see things differently. And when we think about generosity, we ought to see things differently. We ought to see people differently. We ought to see opportunities differently. We ought not to say, how little can I get away with? But we ought to say, how much can I be involved with it? Right? We ought to look for opportunities to do that. It causes us to see things differently. So I want to share a couple of points with you in closing, and I want to give you some takeaways. So a couple of points to start. Number one, generosity causes us to change the way we look at money. Generosity causes us to change the way that we look at money. So think about it. When you, when you grew up, you know, I mentioned my 12-year-old. When you grew up, the only thing that you think about, if you get money, the only thing with that money in your pocket, it is, I must get this money out of my pocket, right? It burned a hole in your pocket. The first 20 that you got for your birthday or whatever, it was, how many pieces of bubble gum can this $20 buy? Right? You wanted to spend every dime of it. But then you started to grow up, right? And, and then you realize, okay, and, and my son's starting to get that way. You know, uh, we went to a wedding uh, not too long ago, and he thought he saw Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey was not there, by the way. 
uh, you know, the financial guy, but that's my kid. You know, he grows up, you know, me doing finance, so he, he grows up and he, he thinks that. So he, he started saving now. So I mentioned he's reserved some of his money, right? So that's what happens with us. We're all the same way. I got a $20. I'm five years old. I want to spend all of it on bubble gum. Then I start to realize I should probably save a little bit. And so we start to save a little bit. Well, then guess what, what happens as we grow older? Then we begin to share as we learn more about money. It's hard to get a five-year-old to share, but it's easy to get a 45-year-old to share, right? And so we have to remember that all the money is God's money, and we're simply stewards. So whatever amount that you've been granted the authority to be a steward over, that's what God chose to do. And so we must allow generosity to change the way that we look at money. Number two, when we are captivated by the treasure, capital T, then the treasure, capital T, becomes our measure. When we're captivated by the treasure, the treasure becomes our measure. So in other words, we, we don't look at situations and say, well, well, how did everybody else participate? Hey, I'm here to give at the temple today, and I just want to know, um, everybody's in for 75 right? We're all giving $75? No. Your measurement is not based on what other people do. Your measurement is based on, God, what would you have me to do? Because your context is different than everybody else's. If I give $75, it may be super generous or it may not even be generous at all. And if you give $75, it could be very generous or, again, not generous at all. And so we have to measure based upon the treasure. And again, of course, the treasure is Jesus. So we measure our generosity by how generous God has been to us. Aha, see? Right? How does that change things? Well, you can never outgive God. So all of a sudden we say, okay, well, I'm going to be as generous to others as God has been to me, to which you're saying, I'm never going to be able to be as generous as God has been to me. Right? And so there's no limit then to your generosity. You know, you're not, the, the widow didn't come up and give to God and then, uh, you know, starve to death. I can guarantee you when you get to heaven and you find her, that's not how she died. Right? God provided for her. How do I know that? Because the Bible says that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. That's what the Bible says. So measure by the treasure. And number three, generosity begins where obligation ends. If you're obligated to give to something, you're not being generous. So don't let obligation trick you into believing that you're being generous. It is not true. Generosity begins where obligation ends. Now, I don't know what you're obligated to, and I'm sure you're obligated to great things, but I want to challenge you to be generous beyond that. And I'm not just talking about money tonight, like I said at the beginning. It could be your time. Maybe you're very talented with something. That It could be very generous with your talent. And so in order to be generous, I think there's a couple of ground rules for us to get started. So tonight you say, I'm in. I want to be generous. How can I do it? Well, here's two things that I think will help you start to move in that direction. Number one, live with margin. Live with margin. You can't bless somebody with time if you don't have any extra time. So look at your calendar and stop filling it up with me things and start looking for opportunities to be generous with your time to others. 
Look for chances to give to other people. It doesn't have to be this big grand production. It could simply be going across the road and helping a neighbor. It could be going next door and helping a neighbor. It could be helping someone in your small group. You have to have margin to do that. I'd love to help you, but I'm too busy. Well, then you're too busy. Right? You need to have margin, not only with your time, you also need to have margin with your money. How can you give generously if you tie all of your money up? You see, you can't be generous with your time if you don't have any extra. And you can't be generous with your money if you don't have any extra. So you have to have margin in your life. There's got to be a measure of availability for God to do something, for God to give you opportunity, for you to participate in the things that God wants you to participate in. And if you wrap up every second and if you wrap up every dime, then you don't have any margin and you don't have any opportunity to be generous. So number one, live with margin. Number two, give intentionally. Generosity is intentional. No one ever said, oh, man, I was accidentally generous today. Well, then you weren't generous. Give intentionally. Generosity is intentional. You see, generosity is, generosity is intentional. It is a discipline. It is a discipline that you have to cultivate. It is a discipline that you have to cultivate. Listen, you're, if you're not a generous person and you want to be a generous person, you're going to have to work at that. And it, how do you work at it? Well, you start with gratitude. You look at everything that you've been blessed with. Maybe, you have, maybe you're retired and you have a lot of extra time. You need to be generous with your time. Maybe you've been blessed financially and you've got some margin at the end of the month. Then you say, hey, you know what? I want to I bless somebody, especially this time of the year. It's a great opportunity to give without asking. It's a great opportunity to bless someone. You see, no one is generous on accident. It always has a purpose of blessing attached. It's intentional. You see, God's intention for us is not that we would have abundance for the sake of abundance, but that we would use the abundance to bless others. That is generosity. So as we leave tonight, I want to remind you of what we could simply have started with and we certainly should end with. is what the Bible teaches us in, in uh, Acts chapter 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. <clears throat> How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. <clears throat> I think we would all agree that as God grows us spiritually, that we begin to exercise our generosity muscle. And that God would challenge us. And so I think the challenge for me and the challenge for you, the challenge for us tonight as we endeavor into this uh, holiday season is that we would look for opportunities to be generous that we would pray that God would open doors of generosity for us. Not that we would be acknowledged. I mean, I would even challenge you to try to anonymously be generous, right? Not that we would be acknowledged, not that we would be recognized, not that we would be rewarded here on earth, but that we would do it because of what we've been given. 
And that if there's ever, there's never an acknowledgement, there's never an earthly reward, it was never the intention, right? It was always because of what God had done for me, I want to do that for other people. Amen? Well, I hope you were challenged tonight in the area of generosity and reminded that to whom much is given, much is required. And the opportunity that we have before us is an amazing opportunity to be representatives of who God is and most of all of what God has done in our lives so that we can be representative of Jesus in the lives of those around us. Amen.